Okay. Uh, let me just adjust my screen real quick. Okay. So, hi, everybody. I'm glad you could join us. So, um, am I sharing my screen? I am. You see that, right, Adam? Okay, yeah. great. Okay. So, um, what we're going to talk about today is the Lawrence Transit and KU route redesign study. Um, as I, I heard you guys talking with Adam, there's obviously a lot of transit studies going on concurrently uh, in Lawrence right now, which is very exciting. But um, our focus in, in this study is, is the routes themselves. And um, it's related to the uh, transit hub study in that uh, the two sort of complement one another. But um, today, what we want to do is kind of talk you through wh where we are in the study and um, kind of tell you, you know, next steps and just big picture of how the study is, is going to work. Um, and then we have some discussion questions that we'd love to get your opinions on, uh, given that you guys are the eyes and ears of the system. So we will start with just a really quick uh, project background, project overview. Um, you guys are probably very well aware of this, but the Lawrence Transit System and University of Kansas have been working uh, closely together for the last several years um, to create, you know, as seamless an environment as possible for, for riders. Um, there are a couple of coordinated routes that are jointly funded. The two systems um, jointly publish a, a transit rider's guide. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of coordination and cooperation. Um, the two systems together, pre-pandemic, were carrying about 3 million passengers. Of course, that number came down during the pandemic, but um, hopefully will return to pre-pandemic levels sooner rather than later. The key point uh, that you guys were just discussing, I think, is that there's uh, this new transit facility being developed um, at Bob Billings Parkway and Crestline Drive. So that facility will very likely reduce the role of downtown Lawrence um, as, a, as a transfer hub. Um, there still will be transfer activity there, but it won't be quite the, you know, the primary hub as, as it is today. Um, and so that new facility necessitates um, a reevaluation of the transit network to, to make sure that the transit network going forward uh, works well with this new facility and that the new facility really does complement the system. So um, given that, <clears throat> the goals of this project are to um, take a look at the existing service, to um, analyze it and identify its strengths and weaknesses, um, and also to identify opportunities to expand service and improve service going forward. So when we're talking about ways to improve service, um, we're talking about improving the overall efficiency of the system. Uh, in terms of ridership and productivity, um, and then also ensuring that there is a smooth transition to the new transfer facility. The study itself is, is going to be looking um, at the fixed route service, but our recommendations may not be focused only on fixed route service. We'll be looking at a variety of um, approaches to transit service. Some of them are kind of new, new, new technologies, uh, new models of, of moving people around. So we'll talk a little bit about that in, in a couple of minutes um, on the next few slides. But uh, just to, to note that we're taking a pretty um, innovative, broad approach to, to solutions here. Um, <clears throat> we're also going to be looking at the potential for a fare-free system. This is something that's been talked a lot about in, in the Lawrence um, area for, for a while. And we're going to be uh, kind of looking at the implications of what happens if we move to a fare-free system for all riders. 
So the approach of the of the, the approach of the study that we're taking is to focus on kind of three key data sets um, to help us understand what's what's going on in. Uh, in Lawrence, as far as transit service goes, we'll be looking at the market for transit. Um, and we'll be looking at how service is operating today and it, what's working and what's not. And then we'll also be um, listening to stakeholders to hear what they what their preferences and priorities uh, and perceptions of the system are. So those are three kind of co-equal um, inputs that, that, that we're getting. Um, and you guys are helping us today with this kind of third circle on what do the people say? We want to, we want to hear from, from you because these first two data sets are kind of technical analyses. They're a number, uh, sort of numbers crunching uh, analyses, uh, whereas the third one really gets us kind of to understand the intangibles of um, what uh, people are seeing in, in terms of their commutes and um, ways that we could improve uh, their lives through transit. So we'll talk first about the market for transit. Um, so when we look at the market, we're talking about the underlying environment uh, in which transit service has to operate in Lawrence. And uh, at the top of the things that we're looking at will be density. So density it refers to the number of people that live or work uh, in close proximity to one another. The more the more people there are that live and work in close proximity to another, the more likely uh, we are to see transit ridership and the more likely we are to see fixed route transit service being an effective model. So this map here is color-coded by density. So areas that are yellow, orange, or red have higher jobs plus people per acre than areas that are green or, or gray. Um, the yellow is... The, the, anything on here that's yellow is sort of where you begin to, where, where fixed route transit begins to make sense. So that's kind of where we really start paying attention. Um, anything that is yellow or you know orange or red is where transit fixed route transit service has the best chance of doing well. And then the green areas are where there's really kind of to, a lack of density to to really ensure that fixed route transit will will do well. Um, areas that are lower density. They still might have a need for transit, uh, but fixed route may not do as well in those areas because fixed route, like I said, requires density, but there are other models like on-demand type of models that may be um, something to consider in some of those lower density areas. The uh, other thing we look at is what, what's called transit need. So transit need is looking not just at population overall, but specific <coughs> population subgroups Sorry, guys, I was eating popcorn a minute ago, and I have popcorn in my throat. So one second. <coughs> I apologize. Um, so the transit need is looking at where there are concentrations of zero vehicle households, persons with disabilities, low income households, uh, youth and, and older adult populations. So these are population groups that tend to um, be more likely to use transit than the general public. And so areas that are more orange or red are where you have the higher concentration of population need. So the ideal situation is if transit need and transit potential kind of overlap and coincide. So areas that have the highest transit need, if they also have the highest transit potential, that means that you can invest your fixed route transit resources in those areas and they can really do the greatest good. They can carry the people uh, with the greatest need for transit in an effective and efficient way through fixed route transit service. Uh, 
But transit need and transit potential don't always overlap. So uh, one example of that would be in a more rural area where you still might see some elevated transit need because you might have um, aging population. Um, you might have like a, a mobile home park or something like, like that where you might have um, lower income residents. And they there might be elevated transit need, but the transit potential might not be there, meaning it's still difficult to serve those folks effectively with fixed route service, and you might want to consider other types of service. Does that does that make sense to you guys so far? Any yeah. questions? Yeah. Okay. So then, after we get a sense of the of the market for transit service, we look at what's happening today with the existing services, um, and that's the service analysis piece. So that's that second circle that I kind of started talking about. Um, here we're looking at the um, uh, characteristics and the metrics of the existing service, things like ridership, um, things like productivity. Uh, productivity is looking at ridership in a, in a different way. It's looking at ridership per hour and per trip so that we can understand how, how many uh, hours of service or at what cost are you generating the ridership that you are generating? Is it uh, costing you a lot of money to generate the ridership? Is it fairly you know, low cost to generate a lot of ridership. And if it's uh, an area with lower productivity, then we might ask the question, you know, is that investment worth it? If we're pouring in a lot of hours of service into a neighborhood and we're getting fairly low return on investment in, in, the, in the form of ridership, maybe we reallocate those resources somewhere else. So ridership, productivity, on-time performance, those are all metrics we look at. On-time performance is an indicator of reliability of the service. Um, network connectivity, that's important too. We want to see how well uh, routes connect either geographically or in terms of having their schedules coordinated at key locations where we would expect to see transfer activities. And then uh, finally, we have environmental justice, which is an important consideration. Uh, the Lawrence Strategic Plan, is, um, in it, it says that you know minority and low-income populations should be considered in decision-making regarding you know the investment of resources and, and so on. So we'll be doing that as we start developing um, service scenarios. We'll ensure that we're not negatively impacting uh, groups like minority or low-income populations. Um, although we never want to uh, negatively impact any populations, but but those are a key consideration. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, when we look at the service analysis, we'll also be looking at opportunities for new service types to consider. So a couple of examples of, of those, one would be ride hail, ride hailing integration. Um, ride hailing refers to Uber and Lyft type services. Uh, different transit systems around the country are now integrating those types of services in a few different ways into their own services. Sometimes it's just a matter of cross-promotion, where if you open an app for a transit system, you might see Uber and Lyft uh, options on there just for comparative purposes. Sometimes you can actually book uh, an Uber trip through a transit app and vice versa. In some some places, when you open an Uber, an Uber or Lyft app, you, you do see transit information as well uh, for com comparison purposes. Uh, 
another type of technology that now is sort of picking up pop in terms of popularity is microtransit service. So microtransit is very similar to Uber and Lyft in, in terms of the technology that it uses, but it differs in that it uses a set fleet of vehicles and a set uh, group of drivers. And it's typically much more integrated into a transit system. It's using smaller vehicles in a flexible way, um, but it's still branded often uh, with the transit brand uh, of the community. Um, and so passengers can request a trip uh, directly through through an app, uh, and they're picked up uh, either door to door, or some some cases they call it corner to corner to corner. Um, and this is used sometimes as a first and last mile connector. Sometimes it's used during uh, periods of the day when fixed route service isn't operating effectively, like late night hours and and so on. Sort of like your um, uh, late late night your night owl service that you guys are currently operating, um, but using a technology platform rather than a just dial dial up platform. So we'll be looking at that as well. Um, so the the third piece of the puzzle, as I said, is uh, the stakeholder outreach. So there is a survey that's online now. It's been open for a few weeks now. Um, we, we launched it before uh, KU students left town. We wanted to make sure that they get a chance to participate. Uh, so if you go on the Lawrence Transit website, you'll see a link to this. It's uh, the, the survey is hosted on the Lawrence Listens platform. Uh, it's open now and it'll be open through the first week of July. Uh, so we encourage everybody to participate in that survey if you haven't already and to spread the word about it. So the survey is designed to help us understand who's using transit service and, and how they're using it in Lawrence. Um, but it also presents a series of trade-off questions uh, that we'll, we'll talk about here in just, just a minute. The, the, the reason transit, uh, the reason trade-off questions are important is because transit services have to operate within their budget, within their given budget and that budget is, is often you know fairly limited and, and, and tight and so when you're doing service planning uh, transit agencies are forced to make difficult decisions on trade-offs you can um, I'll, I'll give an example here so one of the trade-off questions is asking if people would prefer longer hours or more frequent service um, obviously most people would, would want both but if you're limited in your resources which of those would be your priority and we ask these questions because we want to understand going forward as as we start developing scenarios, we want to understand what people's preferences and priorities really are, because there's usually more than one way to redesign a transit system, to improve a transit system, but we need to have some context of what's important to people. So um, the example here, transit, the Lawrence transit system operates between 6 and 8, uh, 6 a.m. and 8 p.m. Mondays through Saturdays, and the frequency of most routes is every 30 or 60 minutes. So we're asking people if they would prefer longer service hours, for example, service until 10, or more frequent bus service. So, for example, service operating every 15 minutes. Um, and I, you know, I, I'm going to pause here to see if you guys have any thoughts on that yourselves. Uh, but this is the this is an example of of a trade-off type of question. And any thoughts on which of these either you personally prefer or you think your um, your riders would prefer? I assume most would prefer more frequent bus service. Okay. Uh, and is that because you you kind of see a point in the day when when ridership just really starts declining and? <laughs> 
you know, mm-hmm. there are peaks in the day and there are valleys in the day. Mm-hmm. Eight, eight o'clock, people got to go to work. People want to come home around five o'clock, mm-hmm. between three and five. So this is this is generally reflected in our ridership, at least on the transit side. Okay, great. Uh, okay, anybody else? Is there else? any possibility of Sunday service or is that totally verboten throughout the company? <laughs> this is the next question, actually. So thanks. That's a perfect setup. Um, the next trade-off that we're asking people on the survey is if they would prefer um, adding Sunday service. The issue with Sunday service is that within the current budget, adding Sunday service would very likely require a reduction of service somewhere else, either on weekdays or, or on uh, Saturdays. That could be a reduction in frequency or it could be a reduction in hours of service. So the, que- the way that we pose the question is adding Sunday service, which could result in a reduction in weekday or Saturday service or focusing on improving weekday and Saturday service. That's the most common question that I get is uh, for Sunday service, more so than the frequency. Absolutely. Um, people are looking for, because they, I mean, they stop to work on Sundays mm-hmm. and they have no way to get to work on those days. Um, and they're willing to forego the frequency, I would think, um, provided we give them an extra day. Mm-hmm. And it, it solves their transportation problem on that seventh day when we're not working. Got it. Okay. I know that a good comment came up in the prior group where someone asked what that service might look like. And, you know, I don't think it'd have to be like a bunch of fixed route service. It no, could, it could no, be absolutely. something like the night line that would operate. Yeah, that would take someone to so church. I think there's levels of what. Well, and even in the conversation with the passengers, they understand that there would be limited service. They understand that. And they're fine with that. They just need to have something to get from point A to point B, and they'll accommodate your schedule for that. Do you guys have any sense of time of day needs or anything on Sunday? Are people asking for certain types of trips, or is it kind of the same thing they would do on other days of the week? Work schedules overlap over the weekdays. Uh, you notice it most in nightline. People who work graveyard shifts, they have to go in on Sunday, so they have to plan their rides around when we terminate on Saturday night at midnight, when we start up at midnight on Monday morning. And you see that most on the east side of town over there and right over here at Barry Plastics was where you see a lot of volume for those rides. Everywhere else would probably be kind of, they needed to go to the grocery store somewhere within the parameters or to church, like you said, those kind of things. But the workers are the ones that are really kind of, like you said, you know, they got to go work on Sunday. And uh, when you're out driving the like the flag route early in the morning, they're like, "Why don't you have Sunday service?" Why don't you want? Well, it's not that so much. It's just you, you need to give them that. They need. They don't know that until you tell them what the scenario is. Great. Okay, uh, the next trade-off question is um, whether people would like to see more frequent bus service or faster travel times. Um, so the explanation here is that the, the bus stops currently in the current system are placed approximately every two blocks along each route. The more, but the more bus stops there are along a route, uh, the more likely it is there will be a stop close to a rider's final destination. Uh, however, 
if you have if you place stops further apart, a bus can travel along its route faster uh, with fewer stops. So so that's the trade-off: um, either more bus stops along the route for shorter walk distances, or fewer bus stops for faster travel times. Oh, no, no. Uh, say that again. I think they'll probably want more bus stops, but I don't think people want to walk, especially the older clientele. I don't think they want to walk um, as far to the destination. I mean, I wouldn't. I mean, think about rainy days or cold weather or hot days. I wouldn't want to do that. I'd rather have more bus stops and be closer to my destination. Are there any places now that you feel either have not enough or too many bus stops? There's some inconvenient bus stops that aren't really thinking of how people use transit, um, in my opinion. But, I mean, it's it's really like a case-by-case -case basis, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But yeah, there are certainly some non-optimal <laughs> situations um, to where, you know, if, if I can, if I'm able to, I will stop where they need. Mm -hmm. um, and we're, we're kind of allowed to do that if it's not a main thoroughfare. But if it is, then, you know, we certainly have elderly passengers going three blocks to get somewhere they're all going, you know, I mean, right. there's lots of situations like that. Okay. And there's you, plenty of bus stops that are built into the route that you wouldn't stop at all day. Mm -hmm. You just blow past them every day on route. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, you know, that's fine. I guess that's, if they're not, the big issue that we see sometimes is um, routes that have so many stops that it starts to weigh on their on-time performance, um, where you have people getting on every single block. And so there, in those cases, could be opportunities to consolidate some stops. Uh, I'm not saying you guys have any of those, but but that's kind of the thing that we're, we're trying to look out for. Do you, do you feel like that is the case anywhere in your system? I know the seven bus stop, like, I, I mean, it's not really a problem that, is this like where it's located, the South Park going towards uh, Walmart? I almost passed a person because they didn't see it because it's right by a crosswalk. So I thought they were a crosswalk person that was just didn't hit the light and waited across the road. And then I realized like, no, that's a passenger because mm -hmm. it's really badly placed. And mm -hmm. it's happened a couple of times. I mean, I, I picked them up each time, thankfully, but I mean, just, and also it's just the way the cars are parked is just kind of hard to, I don't know, it's just, I don't like, it's a bad bus stop in my opinion. Okay. okay. And then removing tree limbs so you can actually find them because when you're a newer bus, it's like really hard to see that. Mm -hmm. Like you're looking for it, like I'm looking for that blue dot. I'm like, where is it? Like, oh, there's a bus stop. Hmm. Like, okay. that, I know it's not really related, but. No, it's good. Yeah. Seeing bus stop signs is a lot help. Like, that's ideal. Right. I find it, especially if, like, hey, it's us on to this route. Okay, I don't, I can't find this. So you drive like super slow. Like, hmm. Got it. Okay. I so then. Just one thing, if I can. So um, there are some housing authority locations that don't even have bus service at all. But I, I would suggest not only making sure that there is bus service to those areas, but also that each um, housing authority complex has, has a bus stop for sure, like right there. 
Um, because, you know, for the most part, those are our writer, writers and for the most part, they're disabled. Um, like right out here, the number three, like down Peterson Road, there's a huge complex that doesn't bus service. There's, um, I mean, the, the four goes to um, the address on Yale Road, but there's not a bus stop right there. I mean, it, it, you know, like you can stop there, but I mean, certainly there are some drivers who take it really seriously that there's not a bus stop and they'll, they'll go past it. And, you know, I, I don't know what that's about, but I mean, we're allowed to stop. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, it, it should be that certainly in those key locations that should just be built in. What, what is I, the, uh, what's the location that you just mentioned? Oh, um, okay. So um, I, I would say right out here on North Iowa, there's a bus stop and in front of the, um, the fast, uh, not fast lane, it's um, the family mart right there. There's a bus stop. But if someone wants to get on the bus going downtown, they have to cross a street where there's traffic going 50 miles an hour all day long, um, super dangerous. And there's, you know, so many of them are coming either from Wrigley Lane or from the, the housing authority um, apartments right there. There's, there's four plexes um, right in there across from Ridwood Lane. Mm -hmm. And most everyone, you know, they, it's very inconvenient and dangerous to cross the street, but they all do it mm -hmm. um, to save time. And I worry about that one in particular. There's also one on Yale Road. And then I was mentioning a housing authority location on Peterson Road where there, the three used to go there, but it no longer does. And mm -hmm. I've actually had a lot of passengers, they're eligible for paratransit, but they would rather, you know, have the independence and freedom to ride regular transit. And they've mentioned that to me and I'm like, yeah, you know, sorry. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I can't personally do anything about it. Yep. Yep. But maybe I can. I'm <laughs> yeah, and and that, that that actually sets up our next question really well because the the next trade off question is asking people if they prefer service more service coverage, which kind of describes what what I think you were just describing, versus more service frequency. So the way that the buses currently operate, uh, they operate on major streets like I one sixth, but in some cases they also operate on smaller neighborhood streets. Um, so if you, when you do serve those smaller streets, you provide closer access to riders, but keeping buses on the major, major streets could allow for more frequent service. So the trade-off is, you know, do you want buses coming more frequently, but on fewer streets, um, or buses operating on more streets, but with less frequent service on any, any given street. <clears throat> and that's probably a case by case decision, of course, but, um, like to hear your, your thoughts on that. I would say more stop, like the top mm. picture, right? <laughs> like instead of the major ones, it's the ones that are closer in the neighborhoods, because that would that would just be easier. Because you got to think of the old, older people. We mm -hmm. do have quite a bit older people. Right. Just for them to walk 
and everything like that. And so if you help out those or people with kids, if you don't want them to be like, uh, running into traffic or something. So do you feel that the transit environment in much of Lawrence is, is a challenge? Is that, um, because if you have, you know, a, a fairly supportive pedestrian environment, then people can, can get to those major streets. But if you don't have a great pedestrian environment, then there's uh, more pressure to get closer to people's final destination. Is, is that the issue that you're seeing, the pedestrian environment? I don't know. I mean, for about 10 years, I was in a situation of, you know, walking with a stroller and taking the bus. And it, it is way more possible now than it used to be. Mm-hmm. It's so much better than it used to be. Mm-hmm. But um, Lawrence is really great. I'm sure you know um, that, that there are more sidewalks here than average. It really is set up to be able to get around. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So we'll see what, uh, what the riders say about this question. Um, the next, the next uh, trade-off is improving existing service or serving new areas. Uh, so transit currently serves most corridors and destinations in Lawrence, but there are some gaps. Uh, for example, there's, not, there's little or no service north and west of 6th and Iowa and uh, west of Wakarusa, where you have kind of new, newer developing areas, there's still not that much service out there. So is the pri- should the priority be improving uh, existing service or serving new areas? What do you guys think? Is there a way to incorporate both of those? There could be. There could be. Um, it's, you know, always... If you expand service somewhere, you have to have the resources to do that. So if there are, if in the course of the study, we find some examples of unproductive service in some places, you know, we could definitely uh, reallocate resources to serve new areas, or you could consider, you know, different service types, um, fixed route service which is, you know, the 40-foot buses sometimes has a higher operating cost than some other modes like like the microtransit service that I mentioned earlier. So it's possible that you could eliminate one fixed route but then replace it with two microtransit zones for comparable cost. Uh, that's just an example, but there are ways to try to accomplish both um, to some, to, you know, one way or another. Um, but is there, do, do you think there's, a greater preference overall in the community to improve on what's already there or to expand to some new areas? Or is it, is it a toss up? I haven't heard anyone upset that there is not service in, on the West side. I uh, mean, unfortunately, again, you know, it's a rich well, unit. not yet. Cause as development goes, you have the multi-unit, uh, component that generally goes in, well, you have the retail, then multi-unit, then individual living homes. So you're going to see a lot of more multi-units going out there, which means students that can afford to live on the edges will do that. I mean, I see that on the 6th. Once I get past Walker Roos on Overland, there's apartment complexes about there that have, I'm surprised the volume of students that actually live out there. We only have one or two stops. That, um, and they've learned to navigate that. So it's pretty inconvenient because it, it is quite a, a walk, but as develop, development goes and warrants and expands, 
those multi-unit places, I mean, if we look at the nest, for example, that just popped up, they build that fairly quickly. So as you get west of Wakarusa and they put multi-unit living out there, you have more and more students that can afford to live in that type of scenario and understand that it, you know, the cost of riding a bus is an ID. Why not do it? Yeah. You know, why, why drive my car when I can take the bus out? And you see that a lot on the 29. Oh, yeah. The 29 just gets packed because they've all figured out why drive. I'll take the bus. Evening's been nice, though. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I'm so much in the on the B schedule in the summertime, but when the school year, I mean, you're, you're going to see probably, uh, I would think the six will start to see some changes as you see those units starting to develop and the number of houses got there, too. Um, I'm not sure what Wakarusa because I don't really drive down that road, so I'm not sure what the development looks like out there. But, you know, as Lawrence expands, so does, you know, the student population um, will spread out, too, exponentially as that that happens. Um, Mm -hmm. They don't want to be in the core. Those that don't need to be in the core or be on campus, they'll move to those multi-unit places like that. Well, in an area with that kind of development, too, that's that seems to be more geared towards your microtransit model with flex oh, yeah. services. I know we used to have a, a flex service that serviced sort, sort of around the Monterey, past the west end of Monterey uh, and north of 6th Street. Mm-hmm. And I, I, uh, if I recall correctly, we didn't have very great ridership through there. Um, that was the Peterson Road area. Yeah. It, it wasn't, it, I don't think that people uh, spread the good word too much about it. So, yeah. but there, there's a possibility for that in zones like that. But also the people who live out in that neck of the woods are affluent enough that they don't require public transportation most of the time. It would sure. be a nice option, I'm sure. But the people who really need transit are people who live in low-income housing, people who live in the student ghetto, as it's called, uh, and they're going to be in those more densely populated areas inside your previous graphics. Right, right. Okay, yeah, great thoughts. Um, so the last trade-off question I want to talk about is the question about the free fare possibility. Yeah. So. Transit service is, is supported by a number of different funding sources, and that includes the on, onboard fare payment as an, included, as an important component. Um, a reduction in the funding in any of these funding sources uh, will likely impact the ability of Lawrence Transit to provide and sustain the current levels of service. So uh, this discussion about going fare-free has been um, has been a discussion for some time now. So there is the possibility of, el- of eliminating the current $1 regular fare for all riders. So the trade-off question is, would people prefer to maintain existing fares, um, the dollar per ride for most passengers, or to eliminate those fares, which could result in service reductions on some routes? Uh, do, you, do you hear this uh, a lot among passengers do you think it's a it's a big issue do you feel like they there's a strong preference one way or the other um, we have inter- a lot of passengers who can't pay ever pretty much yeah mm-hmm. um but that's that's case by case i mean certainly they ride um you know for free it's fine but i, I wonder if um 
there could be sort of like a system-wide um, fare elimination, but on microtransit and, and sort of like taxi type services, if that would make up for it. Because I, I wonder, I mean, if, if, you know, you add up the fare you get in a year from one of these routes, would you even buy the tires? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's not, it seems like it's not that much money mm-hmm. that, you know, I mean, I, I think more yeah, people would buy it and it would be more federal money. I mean, it, it would probably work out that way that more people would try it if it were free. Right, right. Well, we'll we will be modeling those kind of scenarios because you're you're right in in the sense that fares on pretty much every system around the country make up you know around ten percent. Uh, you know, if you're lucky, uh, of co- you know covers up to ten percent of your operating costs. Uh, sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less. And you're also right that ridership matters because there's formula funding, as it's called, that comes from the federal government that does take into account. The, the number of riders that you have. So all of those things kind of do play together in, in this discussion. Um, but is it, I'm curious if it's, if it's a big topic of discussion that you're hearing on, on buses. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah people that, are like, when's it going to happen? Honestly. And the other thing too, just, I mean, this is selfish kind of bus driver type mentality, but it would be uh, passengers would load and unload a whole lot quicker and easier. Oh yeah. And there'd be a whole lot less discussion. If they just enter the bus, they they walk and sit down and we just take them to their bed, you know, best as A and B. And it problem solves a lot of um sometimes there could be some negative interaction and it would eliminate all of that with the fares of not being there. It'd be just an easier process. Um, That's just kind of the selfish part of that as a bus driver. But but it would make it so much easier. Yeah, it'd make it a lot, be a lot I mean, faster. we already pretty much do it on campus as is. I mean, kids get on and get off, get on, get off. It's and if beautiful. you did that on the city side, it would be the same process. That's um, a good point. Yeah. Yeah, it doubles boarding time. Anytime you require a pass, anytime you require an ID yes, or a fare, of, or, or you write out a transfer slip, it That's doubles, if not triples, the boarding time, which adds up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, now with us going into having a newer um, hub, um, I think it'd be a lot easier, you know, if the buses are going to be there for transfers and whatnot, or should be there, um, having to do the fares and transfers, having to eliminate all of that paperwork would be a whole lot easier for the bus or for the passenger because they're, the buses are going to be in a hub in a designated spot. So the passenger then knows where to go to. It gets their bus. Uh, okay. Yep. Yeah. Really, really good points. Okay. So for the next um, section of our discussion, we're going to, uh, Rebecca, who is on this call and I haven't introduced her, but she's my colleague at Foursquare as well. She's going to be um, posting your comments on some kind of post-it notes, virtual post-it notes as we as we do the dis- discussion. So she's going to share her screen and I'm going to stop sharing mine. So let's switch that real quick. Rebecca, you're able to, yeah, there we go. All right. So we have a series of questions that are kind of open open-ended here. Um, the 
we're going to go through each of them and, and we just like to get your, your take on it. So the first one is very broad and, uh, wide open. So what, what are the, what are Lawrence transit and KU on wheels doing well, in your opinion, how, how are they serving the community? Well, Um, I think that, first of all, Lord's Transit, what they're doing, well, they're accessible to the passengers. Um, we have a lot of forms of communication for the passenger. Um, we have a lot of ways for them to um, let her type. That's, yeah, yeah. yeah, I got That's good. I mean, I think, for, I'll tell you, because I come from two different perspectives, because I live in Topeka and I see a whole different bus transit system. Also, I lived in Washington, D.C. for a long time, so I also saw public transportation in a different view. Seeing what we have here in Lawrence, um, there are a lot of pluses to the transportation system here in Lawrence. I mean, not everything's going to be 100% efficient, but um, I think as a whole, um, it does really well. Um, you're able to get to a lot of places in Lawrence using the current system that we have in place. Okay, great. Um, any, uh, anybody else want to uh, add in anything for what the systems are doing well? I believe we do compassion well. Okay. Helping passengers get to the proper bus, um, calling each other to make sure we hold for certain transfers if the route's running late. Uh, that kind of thing goes a long way to uh, really kind of winning the hearts and minds, I guess, of, uh, yeah. you know, the ridership. And that all goes to the training that, that takes place here. Um, without that kind of proper training, you wouldn't have that. You can't have that post that, that you just put up. So the training just makes um, a lot of that um available to the passengers. I mean, we go through the process on a daily basis, but I think sometimes we forget to see what we're really doing. And sometimes we get caught up in, in micromanaging a lot of the incidentals when we're actually doing a pretty good job of getting people around and communicating, um, like he said, to the passengers. Yeah, really great, great points. Okay, we can come back if, you, if anybody has Anything else that's that's uh, you think is a positive, we, we can come back to that. But for now, let's, um, in the interest of time, move to the next question, which is how could Lawrence Transit and KU on Wheels uh, serve the community better? On-time performance and reliability. Okay. Especially in terms of vehicles and operators. What, uh, can you explain? Explain what you mean by, by v, like, what, how do you differentiate between vehicles and operators in terms of on-time performance? Well, see, we've got the schedule set in place and we've, and we've essentially published a list of promises that we're going to make in terms of our time points. Mm -hmm. And whenever a bus goes down, where's the operator? We, we just need more operators. This last semester has been, uh, hair pulling contest mm -hmm. uh, between dispatchers, supervisors, extra boards, uh, and the managers. Uh, we just need the manpower. I, I know that this isn't a problem that is, uh, you know, specific to our place, but 
it trickles down effect though. It well, yeah, it, it trickles down whenever one person that doesn't show up to work, nearly two people got to scramble to to cover that that okay. issue, and then whenever the buses are out there, depending on weather, depending on traffic conditions, depending on you know, we do do good training, but uh, there's so many chaotic elements that are out of our hands that we'll put mm-hmm. a bus route down uh, to the point where, and some routes in particular more so, we'll put those routes down to the point where usually the most vulnerable passengers will have to deal with the biggest brunt of that frustration. What routes are you talking about? Like Route 7 in particular. That one doesn't have a whole lot of time built into it. There's, there's, hey, and of course, this is all going to follow through with the route eight. redesigns that, yeah. that are going to happen with the, the hub. But this is, it, in order, how could we serve the community better? Getting back to your primary question, we could, we could probably put some money into the basic resources because it takes the human element and it takes reliable vehicles. Like the seven, it doesn't even have, like it barely has any time and the driver doesn't even have time to use the bathroom. Like nope. I don't drink on that route. On that, when I drive the seven, I don't drink. I okay. don't. I just like, like, I'm not gonna have time to go to the bathroom if I get down. And then also on the route seven, it's mm-hmm. not, that, um, it's at the T junction of Florence and 31st. Mm-hmm. Please, can you guys put like a traffic a light. light there? So like it's triggered by cars only kind of traffic light because it is so I don't feel comfortable. I mean I do it, but is, I don't like it because it makes I have to cross four lanes of traffic in a thirty foot bus, and I yeah. mean I sit there, and it just and like I know even like I've heard other people who live in that area don't even want to like it's hard for them like to get out. It's just super dangerous. I mean if, even if it's a triggered light, that'd be ideal. But if you guys have a light. That'd be so helpful for us because we have to make a left-hand turn, crossing four lanes of traffic. Yeah, forty-five miles an hour. Exactly. Is the travel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. People are fifty. Yeah. I mean, yeah. people are fifty, fifty-five. That that that's definitely the kind of issues we'll be looking into. I don't know if there are any alternative routing ideas um, in that area, uh, short of you know installing a signal, uh, but that. You know, when when we do see those situations, we do try to find a, a nearby a nearby intersection that is signalized. I'm not sure if there's one in close proximity or not. Even the residents can get out because even the residents have a hard time. Just anybody yeah. have that whole yeah. residential area getting out. I mean, that would just help everybody. Not even not even the bus drivers. It would just help everyone as a whole. Right, and we'll yeah we'll be documenting those issues that can uh, potentially be resolved, you know, not just by Lawrence Transit, but by the city or the county, or I'm not sure in, who controls that particular intersection, but we'll take a look at that. Okay. Um, the next question is, uh, do passengers have the tools that they need to understand and use Lawrence Transit and KU on wheels? So that these are the kinds of navigation tools we're talking about are trip planning tools, uh, real-time transit data, uh, stop level information, maps, schedules, all, all those things. Do, do you feel like passengers have the tools that they need to um, to use the service? You have two different types of riders, so you have to keep that in mind. You have the city riders and then the key students. 
or fairly proficient with anything that's going to be on an app. And then you have the city riders, and a vast majority of them, sometimes they don't even have a telephone um, to look up that kind of information. They're reliant on the bus driver to relay that information to them when they see a bus driver. Um, if, it's not necessarily when they're on the bus of downtown enough um, that they're there in between when the buses show up and they're wondering what time and where the bus goes to, that kind of stuff. And it's all verbal communication with them. So, so there, a, a physical a physical map might be a, a, a helpful, a large physical map, actually. For them uh, to see, yeah. For them to see. Um, and also um, come to find out as late, because I do speak Spanish, so I'm fortunate in that uh, aspect, but um, having another language on there to help them with that a little bit, too. Okay. Um, is that a common issue, uh, language barriers? You're in a schedule week. We, I don't know what he's going to do, and I'm not sure with COVID how um, how they're managing people coming into the country. But we do have, um, you know, you're going to have a large Asian population, Middle Eastern population, oh, yeah. um, Latin American. So, you, I mean, you're going to be across the board um, trying to communicate with those folks. I mean, we did do that um, language thing. Um, six months ago where we sat down and they have a form fill out how to best navigate, you know, when you have those frustrations, but um, multi-language on campus, but not so much on the city side, probably English and Spanish would probably be the two primary languages. Okay. And you don't see a lot of Spanish, but you do see it from time to time. Okay. Okay. I, Great. I would suggest that any maps have more landmarks on them because the most frequent thing I run into is I'm holding up the map and saying, this is what you do. And they can't read the map. They can't. It's too simple. They cannot. It's almost too. Because um, like, most people yeah. don't know the it cross streets, too. but they do know the landmarks. So if I say I'm going to Dollar Tree, they understand that. But in my head, yeah, yeah. it's 27th and Iowa. Mm -hmm. So I, so that's what, you know, as a bus driver, I know the cross streets, they want to understand a lot of the folks, uh, they just don't, you know, they know where they live and they know where they're going and that's it. Maybe don't put the dollar tree on the map, but any social service agency or nonprofit or something, I mean, places that a certain population might know. But Dollar Tree were to also be a good reference. No, so. like, well, I mean, <laughs> I know, like, yeah. It's it would have been like, oh, I know. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean. Or actually, you could use local landmarks from local businesses that might not be a bad idea. More parks or something. Yeah. From the last group of operators we talked to, they, they had some ideas of putting a, maybe at the new transit hub a, a list of key destinations and like a reference table, Walmart, you know, other Walmart, like, you know, have the, just, just simple, simplify it to, if you're going to this place, take this route and, and, you know, yeah. have a sign like that. So. All right. One thing I might just add into that is we are, um, we did change up how our maps are going to look in the right guide this upcoming year, because I also think that they're two kind of routes that float in the middle of nothing. So they've got more background information. So there's, um, you see like parks and water bodies and things like that that can orient you to where you are in the city. There are like points of interest on there. And I guess you'd be interested in your guys' experience 
if additional ones could be helpful on different routes that like, would help us make that better year after year. Mm -hmm. so. Okay. Well, think about that. Uh, this isn't the last chance we'll have to provide input. The next, the next question is: um, If Lawrence Transit and KU on Wheels provide an inviting passenger environment, and there's a lot of aspects to that. So it could be the stop level, it could be onboard the buses, it could be the uh, interaction with drivers. All of those things contribute to an inviting environment. But overall, do you feel like it's an invite inviting passenger environment? Currently, I don't think it is, and uh, it's probably primarily due to uh, all passengers and all drivers uh, needing to wear masks, mm. so that creates a, a barrier to communication, as well as the COVID barrier that we have hanging up over our driver's area, that creates another separation between us and the passengers, mm -hmm. and then when you're uh, operating your bus, the noise of the air conditioning, the noise of the engine. Uh, if anybody has any questions, it's very hard to communicate and create an inviting environment. I just use a like speaker. Oh, oh, that's easier. I found out you just use a speaker, the mic, like, okay, then everything, you know. Oh, that's what we're supposed to do. Oh, mm -hmm. I, I do it, I'm like, I'm not gonna try. I'm not gonna, you know, that's required. <laughs> this is just easy, like here. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Really good thoughts. Hopefully the the first part about the masks will take care of itself. Um, but yeah, well, those are good thoughts. Okay. Um, Tell us, um, like, are we taking masks off on the buses whenever the FAA takes masks off? Is all federal under the same umbrella? A TSA directive through September 13th currently okay. is the date that they've set. So and then we keep our eye on that. that. Um, and hopefully it doesn't get extended, but that's where it's at right now. It, but it's not the same as all federal transportation. That is the federal, you know, oh. the federal guidance for any form of, uh, lots of forms of mass transportation, but including public bus transportation. So kind of where we're at. I like the face mask, but that's just me. I'm a weird person. That's really weird. <laughs> No, like I have felt sleepy, like over sleepy because of the mask and it scares me a little and I have to kind of, you know, breathe, but the paper. Okay. All right, guys, we have just a couple more. Um, thanks for sticking, sticking this out. But the next question is, um, yeah. so we, we've heard a lot of ideas thrown out today about ways to improve service potentially um, if we had to prioritize kind of a you know top change that lawrence transit or k on wheels could implement to encourage transit use what do you guys think that that is and, and for one other thought on that is you know we're talking not only about people that maybe ride today and maybe could ride more if we did this but also new passengers like what's keeping uh, you know folks from riding even trying the bus in the first place Number one would be making the fare free. Yes. It would change so, so would many change problems everything. and it would save us so much time. I think we'd get a ton of good PR just from that and all the newspaper articles, local news shows. I mean, the okay. majority of people who get on a bus don't want to talk to anyone. They want to get on the bus and go to their destination and they don't okay. want any hassle over it. 
And they especially don't want to be questioned to their right to being on the bus because of their finances. That would, the free fare would open up so many doors for so many rights. And then I'm people sure. don't want to think, do I have that dollar today? Like, oh crap, I forgot my dollar at home. Like, because you know, said the thing about having cash on it. It's just, it would solve so many problems, honestly. Just so many. I mean, honestly, if, so, if I, no one shows me their badger ID or whatever, or doesn't put money in, I'm like, okay, you're, I'm not gonna ask. Mm. I don't want to, there's no point. I don't see it, whatever. Okay. I would like to one more, um, a close second would be uh, late night service and Sunday service. It's something we hear from passengers a lot. And I try to explain that the actual uh, need for those services is pretty low and it might help, you know, a few people, but uh, it's going to be difficult to do that. But it is something speaking for them, what they, they often ask for. You say late night for people interested in like fixed or outgoing later as opposed to going to 10, 11, that kind of yeah. thing. And I try to explain that as a small town, you know, this isn't New York. So, um, so what's the, this, we would get more ridership. I'm just curious about to follow up on, on that, on the late night question. Um, do people not consider the late night, the existing late night um, service to be a, a suitable alternative or, well, it's two dollars ride, mm -hmm. and yes. you you have to you have to make your reservation uh, five days out. Set up a profile. Set up a profile. It's it's That's like a limited asshole. version of paratransit. Okay, so, too cumbersome. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it might it might be a little too cumbersome for some people. Yeah. But we do we do accommodate about sixty people a night. You know, at, at, at tops. And if you could encourage more people, all right, it goes back to the earlier post-it, is where do we get the people to, to drive that service? I mean, we're, we struggle with the vibe of, of uh, drivers this week that we have at the moment. Uh, Nightlight's kind of a tougher niche to fill. I mean, where do we get those folks from? And I worked at Dispatch too. A lot of them didn't understand. You have to explain them how Nightlight works. Part of, that's part of the problem with Nightlight is trying to explain to them so they understand that it's not a normal bus that comes and stops at the corner. You actually go to your house and pick you up or go mm -hmm. to the store anyway. Mm -hmm. Okay. Those are really great um, observations. Uh, so the last question is, uh, are there places where you guys have been that you, you really thought, okay, this place really gets transit right and we could learn something from them? Any, any things that you've seen anywhere else that you think would be applicable in Lawrence? I mean, Washington, D.C. is really great, but it's a big city. Um, when, one thing I like that Kansas City is doing is they have that, um, that really great little uh, trolley. I don't know. I mean, like the rail that just okay. goes from Union Station out to City Market, just back and forth all day. And what's amazing is that you, you would think that it would be people who just wanted a free fare who would ride it, but you see everyone. Well, they all got the maps too, which is that it goes from yeah. River Market all the way south, but stays only on Main Street, mm -hmm. and then turns around and comes back so you can use it as a vector or all the other uh, 
uh, other routes too. It would okay. be neat to just try something that that goes down a thoroughfare just for free mm -hmm. and just see how it works in Lawrence or if it does or, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if Lawrence has big destinations like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, no, we don't. We have nothing. I mean, we have well, nothing. There there are yeah i mean there are many many systems that have sort of a circulator of various types sometimes it's, it's rail sometimes it's bus but it, it's a model that's been applied in a lot of different places sometimes it's worked sometimes it hasn't and i think you got it exactly right it kind of depends on the you know weight of the destinations like is it something that people uh, there's a critical mass of people all the time that want to go to those destinations or not uh, yeah okay um any other thoughts on Places to get transit right? We don't get out much. <laughs> <laughs> like, we don't. Like, I mean, if we had bathroom accessibility, that would be nice, too. If you had what? More bathroom accessibility oh. but for bus drivers. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's honestly, because it's like, that's why I don't drink on routes. Like, okay, the five, this is weird. I, I don't understand this, but at the five, it's, uh, uh, what is it called? Hold, holding station area? I can't think of it. Our oh, time point. Are. Yeah. We say we are at Amar for like a good bit, and I can't pee out there. I mean, sorry. I can't use the bathroom or anything because there's no place to go. And But that, uh, but there's no like holdover time for any place else. I guess I could go to McDonald's, but if I want to maintain my time, just... Like it's you, it made more sense if you had a hold, like you'd be held at a different spot and then where a bus driver could. Because I mean, a lot of these, I mean, I understand the transit is for the people and it makes sense. But like if you look, look at where bathrooms accessible is or for drivers, that'd be huge because we don't get out very much or we don't have a whole lot of downtime depending on where it is because we don't have time to go to the bathroom. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing the new transit center will help with that uh, quite a bit uh, at least for the routes that are routed through there so there's some hope on that front i believe i mean that's an important no that's an important issue that buses don't drive themselves so yeah all right any other what thoughts i like about um new york <laughs> is that you know any anywhere you are you can see a taxi um, and, and there are certain places where there's a line of taxis and you know that they're always going to be there. Um, one thing that would be cool, I think, would be if, if the service that currently is for KU students only could be expanded so that um, there's like a safe ride type service for everyone. Ooh, yes. What if we could park at, at all times from like eight o'clock at night till three o'clock in the morning have people parked at like ninth street where the taxis used to be and someone wants to ride they pay four dollars go anywhere in Lawrence. that you know like that would <laughs> do you, i mean to me that would be that would be used by everyone i i think and that would be one way to get people to realize that transit is for everyone Mm -hmm. And I guess to go with that, can I ask, can we get information about the microbus system so we have a little bit more better, some more, feel more informed 
and the uh, other service and how they work in, I mean, I can always go home and look it up, but how they work best in other cities, maybe, a, I don't know, are there a lot of cities of comparable size that use those currently? Yeah. You know what? Let me let me just quickly. I'm going to switch screens with Rebecca um, and show you uh, that slide again. I, I'm not sure if you hold on a second. Let me bring that back up. I might just mention. Um, I mean, honestly, Nightline is close to microtransit. It's yeah. smaller buses that we operate. It's it's if if that service had on-demand app associated with it where people can. Okay, Boris, I just stopped. So I'm going to sign off. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, okay. I, I got it. Thanks. I got it. Okay, okay. cool. Just uh, let me get this up. That technology piece, that service could very quickly become. Yep, I can see it. Okay, thanks, Rick. I, I, the other part that I have to understand about that, the functionality of it. So if they go in and say, hey, I want to, I need a bus or I need a ride, and I hit it, and it says, I'm going to pick you up at 10 o'clock but nobody's there because we don't have the resource. Does it yeah. understand, does the system understand like we can't? So no if, that right. yeah, we're going to be, this is something we'll, we will be talking a lot more about um, in future meetings. So I'll give like a really kind of brief uh, overview, but you can't half do microtransit. Like it ha if you're going to do microtransit, it has to be like done right. So in, in other words, um, it's an app-based application. It's an app-based demand response service. So um, you define the the way it's done is you define the hours and you define the territory. Typically, it's done in a zonal structure. Some communities do it, you know, system-wide, but more more often it's done in a zone structure. So if you identify a particular zone, maybe on Friday night, Saturday night, that has a high demand for like safe ride type of service or um, anything or something like that, then you 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 allow for trips to be taken within that zone, um, and it's dispatched by the users themselves. They can see in real time where their vehicle is when yes. when it'll get to them um and it's it can be done using your own vehicle so in some some transit systems have trans use their vehicles and they basically equip them with a like a, a tablet or an ipad that then allows it to be dispatchable directly by the users or it can be done as a like a contracted service where you have smaller vehicles um like minivans or or you know other kind of vans um but that's that's how it it works and typically you have more than one vehicle in operation in a zone because then you can really take the maximum use of the planning software function. In other words, if you have two, two vehicles operating, it'll dispatch the most logical one to the trip that is closest. It makes the most sense. Um, rather than if you have just a single vehicle, then, you know, that, that vehicle may be going, you know, end to end to end of the zone every single time. It's not, not as, not as efficient. Um, but it's, it's a, application is very similar to Uber and Lyft, uh, as I said earlier, but it uses these specialized transit vehicles. So whereas Uber and Lyft is doing, you know, pickup, drop-off, pickup, drop-off. It takes one person to their destination, then gets the next one. These are shared use vehicles. So you could have three pickups in a row and then, you know, two drop-offs, another pickup, two drop-offs. It's much more of a, you know, mass transit type of feel than Uber and Lyft, but it is flexible and it is uh, directly dispatchable by the users. Does that, does that help? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, yeah, so that's, I think 
pretty much what I wanted to cover uh, today. So I really do appreciate uh, all the input that you guys have provided. We'll be uh, reconvening these meet, you know, we'll be inviting you guys to come to the next round of meetings in a couple of months when we have actual service um, scenarios to to vet with you. Um, and uh, for now, we we have a few more meetings this week um, where the public can come and hear this presentation and provide their input. Um, and as I said, we also have that survey that's still up and running. And so uh, we do encourage you to take it yourselves if you haven't, tell your riders about it, tell your friends about it. The more people that we have participating in the survey, the more representative the responses are. So um, any, any questions before we sign off? When's your uh, meeting for the, just the, the city people? The next one you had this week, you said? Like, yeah, so we have, um, yeah, so this is kind of like the the list. So we have a general public meeting on uh, tomorrow night from six to eight. So folks can tune in, can get on. Uh, it's a Zoom meeting, so they can, any, anybody's invited to join. Um, and then we have some other activities during the week. Um, Adam, I don't know if you've told everybody about the, workshops you guys are, are hosting what we're doing on thursday we'll be at the library throughout the day um having draw your own route workshops we're calling them oh, where we can where people can on a paper version or we also have a, um, a web-based platform used for our planning purposes that we can kind of alter existing routes or draw something new from scratch it's kind of i mean as Boris mentioned there's a lot of technical ways we'll look at route structures but we also are looking for these more qualitative like if somebody just has their idea um try to capture that early on mm -hmm. and then you see here a couple other kind of um focus group meetings where we're trying to like catch major employers or community type organizations but public's also welcome to jump on those if they aren't okay. i know my mom was kind of interested definitely just look at it but yeah. I just didn't know. For the Zoom meeting, do you have to have like a code or anything? So, yeah, there's lists. There's, if you go on the uh, Lawrence Transit website, there are, there's information about every, every one of the meetings and it has a, a link. So you, you can, anybody can go on there and join the Zoom meeting. Okay. It's not, yeah. I can get you the part of the website that has its own project page. Okay. Links. I'll type in your name and your email address and then I'll let you into the Oh, okay. My mom's done Zoom, I have it. So I like it. That's why I was like, this is our code. I know you're laughing at me. Don't you? <laughs> when you guys do that hub job, Sam, I just wonder, and I've seen this before, where the routes are listed, estimated arrival time. Yeah. So Ooh. instead of them going, where's the bus? Where's the bus? The seventh should be here in three and a half minutes. That would be awesome. That's part of what we built into that cost is real time. Oh, yeah. Both downtown nice. and the new hub out at Poppy Lanes. And would you put it in any other locations in town? Because like Walmart's up, has a lot of buses that go there. Oh, yeah. Every time you pull up, where's the five? Where's the seven? Where's, where's the, the nine? Yeah. yeah. I don't yeah, know. I think, I think, I think South Iowa, Iowa sixth and walk would be the next logical place to put it. Um, I mean, having that information also, not a only in a double map app, but on other. Because it, it turns, it, what it would do is help the temperature of the passenger a little bit. To Set some expectations. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which then translates to the bus driver. And then I get a lot less customer service calls. <laughs> yeah. We like I, that. I'd be fine with that. <laughs> yeah, because going to free and communicate and finding a way to better communicate to the passengers 
solves a lot of problems. That you don't have to call the free is huge. Too. I mean, it would just make bus travel a lot more efficient for the driver and the passenger. That and you wouldn't have to call the other driver. Like, hey, is this the person here yet? I don't know. Because I bet we would have more driver retention too. Mm -hmm. so it's going to be so much because some some drivers interact with passengers really well. Some don't. I mean, that's just. Well, that's just how everybody is, but it would um, make the bus, I think, a little bit more efficient. Um, and it would, be, it would calm the radio traffic. We don't yes. need to call the transfers out anymore. So the only time that we're calling on there is if a supervisor or you know whatever else happens, bus breaks down or those kind of issues. But as far as passenger issues... Or if the seven's down. Because okay. everyone leaves. <clears throat> okay well thanks guys um thanks again for for your time and all your comments and uh we look forward to seeing you again in a couple of months and um yeah help spread the word about the survey okay all right thank you thank, thank you, you. Bye.